today's topic is food-based, <laughs> I guess. Well, sort of leads into that, or that leads into the topic, which is who do you need at your table? Maybe not so much who do you want at your table, but who do you need at your table? This is a really important topic that I explored deeply last year with the teacher I was working with. And it was basically, the context was healers, people with ancestral callings to heal. And the kinds of people that are best for us to be around because as healers, we are deeply, deeply wounded and complexly traumatized very often. And we have long ingrained histories of unhealthy relationships and also being attracted to people who are not aligned or right for us and also attracting people, just naturally attracting people who are not right for us. So it was a really foundational part of my, not just healing, but in becoming a healer and doing this work, really needing that stability of healthy, in-order relationships with other people. Because without that, there's not much longevity on this path. There's not a lot of longevity and there's not a stability and resiliency. So anyway, what got me to this topic? I like food. I love to cook. Funny story about that. I actually had never cooked before until about four years ago, I think, thereabouts. I really started getting into recipes. And the reason why I had never cooked before was because I had this really powerful belief that I wasn't good at it, that I couldn't do it, that I didn't like to do it. And that's often the case in this process of ancestral healing, reclaiming gifts that are natural and inherent to us, but even just dormant. We may not even know sometimes that we have a natural gifting or tendency or skill, but it can start to come out when on this journey of healing and reclamation. So I'm especially obsessed with Mediterranean recipes. I do have some Mediterranean ancestral lineage, sort of like that Mediterranean basin, the Southern Europe, Northern African, Southwest Asia, like what they call SWANA as an acronym. S-W-A-N-A, Swana, the Swana region. So as I've gone deeper on my journey of uncovering who my elevated ancestors are and where they come from and what gifts they carry within me, remember they're not separate from me, they're a part of me. So um, it's really just uncovering what I carry within myself just as is, like how I was born to be. I have gotten really obsessed really with Mediterranean recipes and my Chrome, my Google Chrome app is like, because it continues to feed you via algorithms, what it is that you typically look at, (laughs) I have like this 
constant feed of Mediterranean recipes that I'm always trying. It's never ending. Uh, so anyway, there in recent years has been in the health industry a focus on blue zones. I don't know if people listening to this are familiar with blue zones, but they are places in the world that are still pretty isolated from industrialist society, capitalist society. So they live much slower. They live in more what you could call ancestral life ways. Um, they're very community based. They're very, they, they tend to go much slower, more aligned with natural rhythms of life. And so a lot of their lifestyle is centered around food, of course, and the food being a really important part of their longevity. So in Blue Zones, it's all about how are these people living past 100 years old, but not just, you know, holding out until death, but living a very high quality of life. Like there's not the chronic illness that we see in industrialist society there's not a lot of the same level of conflicts in relationships. Their natural environment tends to be healthier too. They don't have as much of the pollution and whatnot that most of us struggle with. So in blue zone cultures, food is, is a really big focus and so there's been some books and blogs and social media pages that share a lot of the recipes from blue zone regions as a way of making people aware of just their dietary choices within industrial culture society and like how to move away from the processed foods and whatnot which is great it's awesome but we tend to take these health tips and tricks like for longevity, for well-being, out of their greater context. As so, it's not just the food that's helping Blue Zone folks to live forever really well. <laughs> it's the communities that they live in. It's their relationships. And the food is kind of a natural side effect or like a natural expression of their communities and their relationships. I'm sure in these cultures, it's not perfect. You know, they have conflict, they have dramas, they have shenanigans. I don't like to overly glorify ancestral ways of living. Basically what I mean by that, ancestral ways of living, like just how our all of our ancestors, regardless of where they came from in the world, were living prior to industrialist and capitalist societies taking over. So they, you know, we tend to think that they were living off the land. No, it was more they were living with the land. But of course it wasn't perfect. And of course it still isn't perfect. We don't need to glorify or whitewash and, and make pure and perfect these ancient ways of living. But anyway, um, historically speaking, just in general, within those communities, there is a real foundation of cooperation. And that cooperation wasn't just for survival. Again, we have this narrative going, especially in like survivalist prepper 
groups and culture, subcultures, um, that cooperation is essential for survival. Yes, but we also have this slightly distorted, warped narrative that that's all our ancestors were doing. We're struggling to just survive. And sure, that could be the case for some groups for certain periods of time in history, but there was a lot of enjoyment going on too. It wasn't just exhaustion and trying to struggle to survive. There was thriving going on. There was enjoyment going on. There's people just being as living in communities of connection. So anyway, that's what I've been messing around with, looking at food and looking at communities of connection, but within this greater predicament that we're all in right now, regardless of where you are in the world, this predicament of upheaval, upheaval as the result of ecological collapse, ecological overshoot, and all of the symptoms that are the result of that, including climate change. So we've got increasing intensity in weather, in famine, in droughts, in storms, in flooding, etc., etc., etc. And in political spheres, in cultural spheres, on and on and on. All these seemingly separate problems and issues that I have seen over and over again are just outcroppings of a root predicament, which is um, basically we have not, as a human species, been living in alignment with our true natures and living in alignment with nature. So you've got all this upheaval going on. And we also don't have a lot of experiences with healthy relationships or healthy communities. I sure don't. I definitely don't. So I have been really contemplating relationships and what types of people I actually need around myself. Not just as someone answering my spiritual calling. This can apply to absolutely everyone. Just within the context of upheaval and drama and conflict and uncertainty and death and destruction, what kind of people do you need to have at your table? What kind of relationships and community is required for anyone who wants to not just survive, not just scrape together some sort of survivalist, I don't know, like militia, <laughs> but wants to actually feel a sense of connection, belonging, and fulfillment, regardless of what's going on in the world. Sounds like a really tall order, but I'm just breaking down what's necessary for that. How can you thrive when we're in a phase of life and history on planet Earth that has never 
been before. We've had lots of collapse, lots of apocalypses. Apocalypti? Is that like the plural for apocalypse? I don't know. <laughs> Someone help me with that. Plenty, plenty, plenty of times before, many, many, many times, but nothing like this. This is a very unique phase that we're in. So I am a, a lonely person for a few reasons. This path that I'm on of answering my calling to heal is lonely just by itself inherently for a few reasons. One is I'm ultra sensitive. So becoming more and more aware that chaos and drama in others isn't sustainable for me to be around. And also this goes both ways. My own chaos or drama that I struggle through isn't good for other people to be around in close contact and long-term as well. It goes both ways. I attract imbalanced people as a healer. That's just a natural magnetism that happens with healers. But that doesn't negate my own imbalance and need for healing too. So I'm, you know, I am have in the past made things difficult for other people as well. But I would say, in my experience, that spiritual people in general, just if there's some gifting there, if there's intuitiveness there, if there's empaths, shenanigans going on there, whatever, whatever you want to call it, it typically means being really sensitive. And also, it tends to mean not being very good at healthy relationships that are that are boundaried and people who are sensitive spiritually can also lack discernment ignore red flags in their own body like when you're around a person or a situation or a group that just isn't right for you tending to ignore that tending to ignore your nervous system saying this just isn't right for you right now um and that's another topic that we tend to take those red flags and make it into this narrative, this judgmental narrative of, well, that's because those people are low vibe and they're evil and they're bad and I'm trying to be good and I'm trying to evolve and I'm trying to ascend and elevate and blah, blah, blah. No, no. <laughs> a red flag in your body is really just a call for self-awareness in discernment and boundaries, which is just saying, that's just not right for me. I need to walk away and let that go. That's all it is. It's very neutral. But anyway. So you've got a whole lot of sensitive people who haven't had, usually, usually speaking, lots of nuance here. But healthy relationships, a lack of a real world experience with healthy connection. And if you put all of that into, like I said before, our greater context of upheaval, of toxic tribalism, of us versus them, me versus you, of division, it makes it even harder. It seems almost impossible, if not truly impossible, to find healthy and aligned people, truly well and in order individuals to develop healthy relationships with. Like, where are the healthy people? Where are the people who have handled their shit? Where are the people who have gone deep into shedding and releasing their conditioning and 
their issues so that you have some people who come together who can just be well together, support each other, create together, collaborate. Thriving in apocalypse requires and is dependent on healthy communities. I'm just focusing on people right now. Healthy communities of people. Really interestingly, again, I've been learning more and more about, like I said, ancestral life ways, what some might call primitive skills. I don't like the word primitive. I know some people have a lot of issues with it. I can understand why. Um, but just what would be called ancestral life ways. Um, I've found lots of overlap with survivalist preppers who will emphasize this narrative of survival of the fittest. They can also kind of bleed in with the CrossFit crowd, uh, paleo people, stuff like that, who have taken a slice or a sliver of evolutionary biology, like Darwin's stuff, other stuff that talks about how species survive and become the best of the best within an ecosphere. So I think it was Darwin who said survival of the fittest or that that phrase survival of the fittest. And that's a slice of it. That is a valid slice of it, but it's just a slice of it. The the greater bigger picture um would mean that really focusing on that narrative of survival of the fittest is misinterpreting what fittest the word fittest in that context what it really means. So yeah, it can mean brute force and clever skills that pit someone against their enemies and the natural world. But evolution, just like this incredibly complex theory, not theory, but um, concept of evolution within the natural world says otherwise. It says otherwise. That survival of the fittest means cooperation and complex interactions between countless communities of life, and here's the key, that remain in balance and harmony with each other. That goes for humans. We are also animals. We're a species that evolved from planet Earth. We're not exempt from this whatsoever. In fact, I would say it's even more true, if that's possible, for human beings. So I have read in other ancestral skills books, people who acknowledge that going out on your own, forging a path that keeps the focus on yourself as an individual. So under this context, okay, imagine this. Some person has learned survival skills combined with ancestral skills and wants to go out for two weeks into the wilderness to test those skills and live almost purely and exclusively from what's available in the forest, for example. So they're able to build shelters, they're able to create tools, fires, they can hunt and they track and hunt, all that stuff. 
Side note, I've been in a tracking class. Long story, I will probably do either a blog or an episode about what I have been learning about tracking and actually how it relates to my ancestral calling, specifically the gifting of dreaming that I have been deepening into. So fascinating. It's just really cool. I'm all amped up about it. It's just really hecking cool. But anyway, it's a completely separate topic. Um, but anyway, so let's say there's this dude and he's out in the woods and he's got these epic survivalist skills. I mean, we're talking like he can um, hunt down a herd of deer and just like he's buff. Okay. <laughs> he has, he has all the survival skills. Like he's, he puts Marines and Navy SEALs to shame. Like they avert their eyes when he walks down the street. <laughs> Guys, he's covered in like pelts <laughs> at the CrossFit gym. <laughs> he has a basket of berries he foraged and he's covered in pelts. Okay, cool. Yes, all of that. If he is truly someone who embodies ancestral life ways, here's what he will know. This is just what I've read from people who live this life. You can go out for about two weeks completely on your own to test your or work with your survival skills. After about two weeks, the exhaustion, and it doesn't matter how buff, how young, how vibrant, how strong, how clever, how mystically aligned with the rhythms of nature, that individual is going to hit a wall of exhaustion. They, they really won't be able to go past that. If they are truly wise, if they are truly embodying this way of life and way of being. And that is because they will know that you as an individual absolutely 100 million percent require a community of cooperative people. Each individual carrying unique skills, gifts, and perspectives to collaborate with not just for survival, not just to keep drawing breath and waking up in the morning and, and eating some food so your, your heart keeps going, but for thriving, for actually enjoying and embodying peace, fulfillment, passion, power, purpose, all the P words, right? The importance of collaborating and cooperating with healthy and aligned people throughout this this upheaval that importance is just going to become more important you and I are going to need healthy communities of healthy in order people who are actually aligned with us. A couple problems here also crop up that I've noticed in today's culture, especially like two problems. 
Being surrounded by like-minded, similar people can create yet another echo chamber of, and, and this can be a slippery slope that you're not even aware of over time, a really slippery slope of more toxic tribalism, of me versus you, us versus them. I've seen this with my own eyes with certain thought leaders who for years were out there in social media or the blogosphere as true tip of the spear trail breakers. They were not at all interested. Like they were very divested from creating echo chambers of psychophants. Is that how you say the word? Psychophants? Psychophantic? Psychophantic. It's just basically people like yes people. Followers who who just agree with everything and you're all in agreement and there's just all this toxic middle school vibe of a clique. And you have this echo chamber shenanigans that just gets stronger and stronger and really devolves into yet another dogmatic religion dogmatic belief system and a dogmatic identity. So everyone's in agreement against a shared common enemy, like for example, the the COVID crews. The shared common enemy is the other who wants to force us to vaccinate. Um, But I saw with a lot of those same thought leaders who were really truly seeming to be embodying that that leadership role of not wanting to create echo chambers. When COVID hit and the conspiracies really began flying, they seemed to crack. Like that really seemed to be the straw that broke the camel's back. And I have seen that some of those communities of followers, people who agree with them, follow them, are now echo chambers of agreement, where if anyone wants to disagree, it's just another middle school playground of ganging up and bullying the person who doesn't fall into lockstep with the group. That is just one of the things that stands out when I'm talking about finding healthy people. We tend to take that, like we do everything, I've said this before, and go with it, take it and run with it into like the other end of the football field extreme. We're always just trying to get to the goal posts. <laughs> Nobody's in the middle of the field anymore, just being in the middle. So you're sensitive. I'm sensitive. You absorb people's junk while attracting imbalanced people, and you have your own junk that you project onto other people. You don't have a history of healthy connection and experiences, real world experiences, maybe in your head, maybe reading all the self-help books, maybe doing healing work. You have a grasp uh, or knowledge of what a healthy relationship looks like, but you don't have a lot of real world experiences with it. Your skills with boundaries and discernment for who is truly healthy and aligned with you and who isn't can be really murky. I've recorded a couple of of um, episodes talking about boundaries and discernment. Put all of that into our current context of violent upheaval. As it increases, you are going to know, even if it's not a mental knowing at this point, your body is going to be telling you. It's telling me to. 
you must be surrounded by strong, stable, resilient, flexible, well and in order people as family, as community, as collaborators. Yet you just can't seem to find them. Or you're out there looking for them and it just doesn't seem like there's a lot. Um, I think I'm going to stop there. I don't have a solution. I, I do have things that I'm exploring to help myself become more aligned with people and relationships. I do really recommend Terry Patton's book. I've recommended it before. He passed away last year, uh, but he wrote a book called A New Republic of the Heart. It talks a lot about echo chambers and dogmatism within communities, within groups, and how that will increase. That's a tendency that people will move towards more and more during times of uncertainty and upheaval. Um, Okay, cool. So I'm going to stop here. As always, thanks for listening, if you did. And I am going to be making a website of podcasts and blogs and probably videos at some point. And I might share content from that directly with one social media platform. But I am going to have like all these rules in place for it. I'm just thinking about it, feeling into it, and seeing if it's actually right for me to do right now. Okay, cool. Thanks. Bye!